Good evening. So you've all made it through the first full day of retreat. I'm not aware of anyone who has left, so good job. Um, like my dear colleagues were saying, um, it takes a lot of courage and strength to do this practice. And like there's so many other things you could have chosen to do with this week, like go to the beach or go somewhere fun and explore things, and you chose to be with yourself. And not many people in the world would do that. And so to be on this path of awakening is um, it's not always easy. I often think it's actually very hard to do. And um, I actually have a song about that. Um, for those of you who don't, aren't familiar with the word dukkha, it means suffering or unsatisfactoriness. And um, I think in a lot of ways we are so familiar and comfortable with the known, even if it's painful or causes us suffering, than to be in the unknown. And so um, I just offer this song um, at the times when even on this retreat we'll often feel like, why am I here? Like, I don't really want to do this. So, Duka, duka, down, dooby, do, down, down. Duka, duka, down, dooby, do, down, down. Duka, duka, down, dooby, do, down, down. Waking up is hard to do. Don't take my pain away from me. Let me live my life in misery. If it goes, then I'll be blue. Because waking up is hard to do. I love it when my mind is tight. And it keeps me up through the night. Come on, Buddha, it's just you. Because waking up is hard to do. They say that waking up is hard to do. Why just one arrow when there can be two? (laughs) Don't say my suffering can end. Instead of waking up, I want to be a couch potato again. I beg of you, just let me cry. Wise effort, I don't want to try. Come on, Buddha, get a clue. Because waking up is hard to do. Dooby-doo, down, down. Dooka-dooka, down, dooby-doo, down, down. Dooka-dooka, down, dooby-doo, down, down. Waking up is hard to do. So as you can tell, I'm not your regular kind of Dharma teacher. (laughs) I really find that it's really important what um, Pat said this morning about gladdening the heart. To be able to be with the intensity of our own inner worlds and the outer world requires um, a level of lightness and spaciousness to, to be able to be with it. And so it was a year ago, a little over a year ago, that we were on this fall retreat. And the fall retreat that year 
um, fell right in the middle of the election. And it was uh, a really intense time for many of us here on retreat. And, um, you know, honoring however you feel about how this year has unfolded, for me it's been a really difficult and challenging one. And I don't fall into this place of outrage and anger. What I've found is I, I, I fall into this place of just like deep sadness and grief for humanity. And what has happened to us, you know, over the last centuries, the last century, you know, just over time that has really allowed the, what the Buddha calls the three poisons of greed, hatred, and delusion to reign so vastly all over this world. And so your being here is, um, gives me hope. It's a real testament to go against the stream, as the Buddha said, of the deep conditioning that causes so much suffering for ourselves and each other. So having this lightness of heart, I just took this workshop last weekend called The Whole Heart Connection. It was taught by a teacher named Thea Elijah. And she was talking about how often... Um, life becomes really difficult because we have lost heart. And over the past month, I've been going through this um, depression. And not for any particular reason, although I've had some significant losses over the couple, last couple of years. I lost my mom about a year and a half ago, and I lost a dear teacher, Sherry Maples, um, just this past July. I'm actually sitting on her cushion, so hoping... Yeah, whatever. But, <laughs> but I think also just the fact that in so much of my life I hold so many spaces and I'm feeling into these spaces that there's just a lot of fear, a lot of despair, a lot of sadness, a lot of grief, a lot of anger, a lot of outrage, a lot of disbelief. And so, like I mentioned last night, I wanted to go a little bit deeper tonight into, like, the refuges, you know, um, so that we can have a way to resource ourselves when um, times get really difficult and challenging, not only in the outside world, but even here on retreat. And something that I was taught in this workshop was we don't... um, make use of the resources that we have, you know, especially with regards to nature. You know, to be able to, like, ground our feet into the floor and into the ground and into the earth and feel the support of this planet holding us. And it's like, no matter what we do to her, she still holds us. I don't know any greater definition of unconditional love than that. And then to bring in the sky, to bring in the universe, you know, through our, the crown of our head and have that support us as well. And just knowing that we are between heaven and earth. That we are this precious being given this rare gift of life to be of service to each other in that way. And when I was feeling this depression, I had lost all sorts of heart. You know, it's like, what's the point of this practice? I'm feeling depressed. You know, I'm feeling hopeless. I'm feeling fearful. But one thing that kept me going was just remembering 
that I deserve to exist here. It's like when the Buddha put his hand down on the earth when he was under the Bodhi tree and Mara kept throwing all these um, temptations and um, all kinds of suffering at him. He's like, you know, I deserve to be here. You know, may the earth be my witness. And so to remember that, to remember to take refuge in yourself, to take refuge in the Buddha. When I was a little kid, I realized that I was um, different from a lot of other little kids at the age of five and realized that um, I was someone who was attracted to other little girls. I was biologically female and I was attracted to little girls and I was also biologically female and I didn't want to be a little girl. And that's a lot for a little kid to hold, you know, at that age. And it was something that I intuitively got that it wasn't okay to be me. I had to be everything but that. And so there was no awareness of my own innate goodness, my own Buddha nature. And it was over years of um, working through, you know, my own sense of self that I just realized, like, this is who I am. I was born this way. Um, I even got top surgery last year to align my body with who I see myself to be physically. And although that helped me um, feel more at home in my physical body, it didn't necessarily make me happy, you know, ongoing forever. It um, had me realize again that nothing outside of myself is ever going to make me happy. The only thing that's going to make me happy is how I feel about myself and how I relate to that which is outside of myself, that is out of my control. And so, so much of this practice over the last 19 years has been about acceptance of self, and it was a real gift to fall into the lap of my teacher, Tara Brock. I always thought that I would actually go in the direction of Zen, because it's so much more in line with like how I see myself as kind of this very organized, rigid, you know, disciplined like kind of person. And I like the aesthetic. Like I really dig that the altar is really clean right now. <laughs> and I'm supposed to invite you to like put things on it, which is gonna be a practice for me to like let go into disorder. Um, and so, you know, to you know, start practicing with Tara and, and she's all about like compassion and love and being softer and gentler. Um, that's actually what I needed. I didn't need to continue to perpetuate actually a way of being that um, had me be a little tight in that way. And it's not to say that Zen is bad. It's, it's just like it's different for different people. But for me, I really needed kind of that, oh, let me just hold you <laughs> little being and... Um, and I just feel like my heart has expanded, my mind has become a bit more flexible, um, and I've just been able to just kind of ride with it. So I'm not a teacher who writes Dharma talks. I'm not actually really sure where this is going to go. Um, and I had a lot of comparing mind and a lot of dukkha around that for a really long time because so many of the teachers that I've experienced always have like a really nice talk and um, notes and things like that. And 
something that I needed to cultivate for myself is trust in myself. Trust that I know something, that I have something that hopefully would be of benefit to people that I would love to share. Something that... um, Because even when I try to write a talk, I can't. It's just that way. And and I love that other teachers can. And um, I just realized fairly recently that I've always been a square peg trying to fit into a round hole. And I don't want to do that anymore. And my invitation to you is for you not to do that anymore either. So it really is about finding practices. You know, everything that we offer you here is an invitation in terms of instructions and practices. Um, But ultimately, you be a lamp unto yourself and find out what works for you. So in this growing trust, so it's always a practice for me when I'm sitting up here in the Dharma seat. The trust that whatever, you know, is going to be shared will come through. Um, I have a few notes here because my left brain always needs something. So, um, So trusting in one's own Buddha nature, one's own innate goodness, is so, so key. To me, it's actually foundational because without that um, it just gets really challenging and so um, I offer you this song about your own bit of nature you're insecure don't know what for you'll find your way when you walk through the dharma door don't need ego to cover up Being the way that you are is enough. Everyone else in the hall can see it. Everyone else but you. Yogi, you light up the world like nobody else. The way that you free your mind undoes overwhelm. And when you smile from your heart, it ain't hard to tell. We all know. That's what makes you beautiful. If only you saw what we could see, you'll understand it's on you to be truly free. Right now's the time to let go so you can believe and thus know. That's what makes you beautiful. That's the most modern song that I have. I teach teenagers, and so, um, of course, I pick the group that they hate the most, like One Direction. But, uh, I always wanted to form an Asian boy band called No Direction. <laughs> so the Dharma, you know, is often referred to as the teachings of the Buddha, but about 10 years ago, I found a, a transgender Dharma teacher named Katriona Reed, who's from Manzanita Village, who Sevene referred to last night when uh, she was offering the precepts. And when I asked Katriona, um, you know, how do you even begin to approach the Dharma? She said, you know, find the Dharma in everything. You know? And I'm not one to, like, study the suttas or, you know, listen to podcasts of Dharma talks and all that kind of stuff. I just like to like, actually walk out my door and just live my life and apply the practices and teachings that I've garnered over the last 19 years and, and just work it. 
And so, um, and so for me, the practice is ongoing. There's a continuity of practice. So after we sit here in the hall, it's actually a practice to like, notice the transitions from going from sitting to standing, from standing to walking, from walking to opening doors. It's every single thing, you know. It's uh, going to your room, noticing when you're lying in bed, noticing what it feels like to brush your teeth for real, to shower for real. The gift of these retreats is an opportunity to slow your life down so much that you can actually pay attention. And what's so beautiful about that ability to pay attention is that everything becomes so wondrous and amazing, you know. The simplest of things that we often take for granted. And what I've learned over these last 19 years of being on retreat and in life is that there is so much to not take for granted because life is so short. And it's depending on how old you are, you may have you know, another 10 or 20 years to live or another 50 years to live, but there's no guarantee of any of that. And so I remember being on a, my month-long retreat at Spirit Rock about three years ago, actually two years ago, and, um, you know, I was going through the retreat, and I was, like, into my third week, and I was like, wow, this practice is really amazing. I was having all these really um, amazing insights and experiences, and I get, got a little cocky, you know. I was like, all right, universe, like, bring it, you know. I can handle, like, whatever dukkha and, and, you know, have coming to me. And about a day or two after I, I put that out there, you know, it's about being careful what you ask for. I um, got a knock on uh, my door. And when you're on silent retreat, it's not really common that there will be a knock on your door. And so it was a retreat manager saying that my partner had called and that it was about my mother. And so I went to the retreat manager's office and called my partner, and my partner told me that my mother was just diagnosed with uh, terminal brain cancer that metastasized from her breast cancer from a few years earlier. And it was really amazing because there could not have been a more perfect place to be to receive that news. And I attributed it to this practice. You know, it was like, yeah, this too. You know, can I include this in my heart? And so I decided to leave the, week, the retreat a week early. And so I only made it three weeks out of my month-long retreat. And I went home, and on the plane, all the way there, I decided all right, Law, your mom has four to six months to live. So you need to, like, do your work here. You need to work your practice and heal what hasn't been healed and say what you need to say and resolve whatever it is that you need to resolve. And I come from a family that, does, that doesn't communicate very well or at all with each other. We don't relate to each other on an emotional level. And so... I found that what I needed to do was just accept that my family was who they were. And what I could bring to that was my practice. And so even though I wanted my mom to have a conversation with me around things that I had done to harm her or things that she had done to harm me, I couldn't really have that conversation with her. And so I actually had those conversations with her at night while she was sleeping. 
And so in, in certain ways, it's kind of like when you're here doing loving-kindness practice and you're imagining somebody, it really works. It's really helpful. Because it's really not about that connection. It's about the connection you have here. And so I was able to say things and um, be with my mom in a way I had never been with before. And she died um, a year and a half ago, and I feel closer to her now than I ever have. She's actually right behind me. And um, she was the most badass person, you know, and so when I'm, I'm needing to cultivate badassness, I call her to mind and invoke her. She was someone who um, never uh, took shit from anyone. You know, she would often, at times when we were growing up, embarrass us by, um, you know, always insisting her on her way. And you know, she just didn't care what anyone else thought of her. And as a younger person, that was really hard for me. But as an older person, it's actually an incredible quality to have. You know, as I was telling my small group this morning, uh, this afternoon, it's like. You know, so much of my life was consumed by, like, what people thought of me. You know, what are they going to think of me? And everything I did and said was informed by that outcome. And so there's a quote that goes, what other people think of you is none of your business. (laughs) And so, um, so to be able to just remember that, to remember to... Just keep trusting myself, just keep loving myself, just keep forgiving myself. And I found that that's what's held me and carried me through these many years and has allowed me to hold any difficulty or any challenge or be in interaction with any person, to know where I end and the other person begins. I don't have to take, take that on. I don't have to take on that expectation or that criticism unless I feel like it resonates and it would be helpful and constructive. So being able to trust, you know, and that um, quality of enoughness, like what is good enough, I realized, you know, a year or so ago that, wow, you know, I actually get to determine that. Why do I let other people determine that? You know, the sense of, do I belong in this group or not? You know, there have been so many settings that I've been like the only one, the only person of color, the only trans person, the only queer person, whatever. Um, and, all, even when I, and even when I've gone on people of color retreats, I always feel like, oh, I'm not a person of color enough. Or if I go to queer retreats, I'm not, you know, I'm trans, so I'm not LGBT enough, you know. So... Um, that habit, energy of not feeling like I belong. It's like, what if I walked into these spaces and just claimed my belonging? Like, I get to say, what would that be like? And it's been so, so helpful, you know. So even if you've been on this retreat and you're looking around and you're fidgeting all the time and everybody is, like, looking like a little Buddha, (laughs) it's like doesn't matter, you know. And it would be so great if we had like little thought bubbles above each other's heads to be like, oh my God, I'm so scared. Or, like, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. Or, 
you know, I'm not getting this right. Like, we're all feeling that. In these teen retreats I teach, we always say to the teens, like, all of us are so awkward. We're so awkward. And I think to some degree that's true. You know, because we're always trying to put on a face or a front to make it look like we've got our shit together. And we really don't, you know. I'm an Enneagram One perfectionist, Leo, born in the year of a dragon, you know. And that was like my modus operandi, was to like be that perfect little being. And nobody really liked that person, because <laughs> nobody could ever meet that person's standards, you know. And so once I was able to like accept my own humanity, accept like, wow, I can mess up and, you know, like not write my Dharma talk and like hopefully it'll be okay. And if it's not, I just did my best, you know. And to me, that's enough. So that's why we have three other teachers. So the Dharma, you know, finding it in everything and the Buddha just trusting yourself and being who you are. And Sangha, you know, it's like, it could be a Sangha of two, a Sangha of five, a Sangha of 85 that we have in here. It's this feeling of um, not being alone. It's this feeling of connection. It's this feeling of support. Um, before I do a Dharma talk, I, I invoke like all my teachers, my ancestors, my community Dharma leader cohort, my family, my friends, my loved ones, my sanghas, to like actually stand behind me and just hold me up and feeling the strength of that holding. And although we ask you on these retreats to go inward and, and really honor that, because we are in community with each other, like we impact each other in so many ways. And, and the quality of how we do that and creating this field is what creates a special kind of sangha, a sangha without words, but a sangha with feeling and energy and um, depth. There have been so many times when I'll be sitting here and just feeling all of you, and just holding space for that, and just feeling so much um, being moved, you know, to tears by your practice, that your willingness to just sit here and just be here. And I always have this funny thought about, like, you know, here we are, we're all just sitting, and especially, like, you know, folks sitting on the floor, and I imagine some, like, alien looking down on us, thinking, like, they're all, like, laying eggs or something. You know, they're just sitting there not doing anything, and somebody's talking up here, and they're just sitting there. You know, and then you start getting that, like, head nod thing, and it's like everybody's in front of the wailing wall, you know. So. It's really kind of funny, you know, and people walking outside like zombies. And, but we, you know, we do all these things, and um, a dear friend of mine said, you know, the Dharma is too important to take seriously. So how do we hold this with a, with a sense of lightness? 
So I have um, another song that I didn't memorize, but just recently wrote as well. It goes like this. When the weather inside is frightful, trust the Dharma so delightful. When your thoughts are lower than low, let it go, let it go, let it go. The habit of mind is dicey, unguarded thoughts get spicy. So with diligence you can know, let it go, let it go, let it go. If we practice with all our heart to accept all that life sends our way, to hone our skillful means, dharmic swagger as we slay, have trust and faith in your practice to know what's true and honest. When you can go with the flow, let it go, let it go, let it go. I bet you never know that I got a needs improvement in show and tell in kindergarten. <laughs> what do you think of me now, Mrs. Fukumitsu? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I don't at all claim to be able to be a good singer, but, you know, that's another thing. It's like how we judge ourselves about what we do well and what we don't do well. And to me, singing is like the most healing thing. You know, so even if you don't think you can sing, just sing. I can't read here. So something um, that came up in our group was this um, sort of sense of striving. You know, it's kind of like, oh my God, it's like day one of the retreat, and I need to, like, be enlightened by the end of the day, you know, that kind of striving, or I'm just going to sit here and just sit with this pain until it kills me, you know, kind of thing. And so some of you might know that one of the um, last words of the Buddha before he died was, strive on with diligence. It's not a really good quote to say to someone who's got a type A personality on the path, right? And so I finally asked the teacher um, several years ago, Michelle McDonald, you know, like, what do you think the Buddha actually meant by that, strive on with diligence? And she said, you know, I asked three Sayadaws in Burma what the Buddha, what they thought the Buddha meant by that. And they all said the same thing. They all said it's about the fulfillment of remembrance. And to me, all this practice is, it's just a practice of forgetting and remembering forgetting and remembering you know the forgetting is when we kind of like wander off and um, you know with our thoughts or feelings get carried away with them and the remembering is to come back come back coming back to your breath coming back to your body sensations coming back to sound coming back to anything that brings you back into the present moment because when you can come back into the present moment that's where the truth actually lies because usually when we're suffering we're not being present We're like off into thought. Even if we're with some sort of pain, whether it be emotional or physical, um, the truth of it is when we're actually with it. What we tend to do is like create stories about it. You know, it's like, ah, I just can't, 
I can't sit for long periods of time. There must be something wrong with me. I'm having all this pain or um, I can't steady my mind. You know, I just can't do this practice. I'm not, I'm not cut out for this. Those are what we refer to as all the second arrows. And so when we can like catch ourselves doing that, when we've forgotten and we can come back and remember, that's all the Buddha has asked us to do. That's all he's asked us to, to strive on with diligence towards. But in doing that, to do that with so much kindness and compassion and gentleness as you can. And I get, you know, um, that that may sound foreign to people. Like, what does it mean to be kind and compassionate toward myself, you know, or loving towards myself? It's a funny story about my mom, you know, like whenever I did something bad, she would always say this Filipino word, hetoyo. And I didn't know what that meant, like, as a child, other than, like, start running. (laughs) (laughs) And um, so the last year of my mom's life, I finally said, you know, Mom, what does hetoyo mean? And she said, may lightning strike you. I was just like, wow, that's like 10 more years of therapy. So um, <laughs> it's like, thank you that it didn't. And, uh, but that was intense, you know. Like my, my parents are very much like, suck it up, you know, move through. We're immigrants, you know. We need to like push forth. Um, and so it was really this practice that has helped me soften. And I remember like doing the loving-kindness practice for the first time and saying to myself, may I be happy? Yeah, bullshit, you know? Like, may I be peaceful? Like, F you, you know? And, and it's like, it's, it, it didn't mean anything to me, but it's the continuous practicing of that and actually feeling into what those words mean or even feeling an energetic of what that energy is can help open, it open my heart at least. So supporting each other in Sangha, taking in these teachings, however they are presented, and taking what you need and leaving the rest behind, it's totally okay. Remembering your true, true self, your own Buddha nature. You know, Tara wrote this book on true refuge, you know, like what is actually true refuge? spent a lot of my life in false refuge, you know, finding, looking for love in all the wrong places, you know, eating naughty foods, um, finding distractions through television or the internet or whatever. So for all of you to be here and without technology for many of you and uh, without the typical distractions of everyday life to just really fall into watching actually your own reality show is a very deep thing. So you're cultivating true refuge here. It's like one more song. A long, long time ago, I can still remember how my thoughts would make me cry. And I knew when I took a glance at the Buddha that I'd have a chance of maybe being happy for a while. Cause his compassion makes hearts quiver with every teaching he delivered. 
with bad news on our doorsteps. How can we take one more step? And when it's time to heed the call and radically accept what's to befall, you ain't going to find it in some shopping mall. True refuge, no need to stall. So bye-bye, false refuge, bye-bye. No more donuts or heartbreaking, ain't no place left to hide. Got dharmic skills, no need to bump up my pride. Buddha's wisdom is a powerful guide. The Buddha's wisdom is a powerful guide. Well, he taught us how to love, to trust ourselves beyond and above. Can you find your breath again? Does your body feel much more than whole? Has sitting saved your mortal soul? And uh, I can teach you how to walk real slow. (laughs) So you know mindfulness is the way to save you from your everyday. So just kick off your shoes before entering the hall. Do that was a lonely drop in the ocean wave, but true refuge save this ducad slave. I found freedom from my pain. We can begin again. And I am singing bye-bye, false refuge, bye-bye. No more donuts or heartbreaking, ain't no place left to hide. Got dharmic skills, no need to bump up my pride. Buddha's wisdom is a powerful guide. I'd just like to take a few minutes if um, anyone has any questions or comments or anything. Gary has the mic. Thank, thank you so much. I am a real fan of winging it, and you did such a beautiful job. And I, I just want to say two things by me. One is that may lightning strike you. Your mother said, I like what God did. God, God sent enlightening to strike you. <laughs> and the other thing is, if I just might quote a very short poem inspired by Emily Dickinson about being in pain. I'm in pain. Are you in pain too? Well, then there's a pair of us. But don't tell. They'll advertise you, no. How dreary to have to appear in perfect health. How boring like a frog. To fake one's feelings the live long June to an admiring bog. Thank you, Rob. Thanks for sharing so much of your personal story. I have a question down that path, if you're okay. Mm-hmm. How, I can't even begin to discern your age, but how old were you when you did start on the path, and what specifically kind of drew you to this versus, I'm assuming, other traditions that you might have had mm-hmm. access to? Okay. Um, let's see. So I was uh, 35. 
which I think is really cool because it was like when the Buddha got enlightened. <laughs> yeah, and I remember coming on these retreats and I would be like the youngest person. So I chose this one. I was raised Catholic and I never resonated with the Catholic teachings at all. Um, I was always fascinated by um, Eastern religions. And I think it was really interesting that, you know, I come from the Philippines and it's the most Catholic, you know, country in, a- in Asia, Pacific Islands. Um, and that was another way of, like, not feeling enough. It's like, wow, I'm, like, almost there, but not really. <laughs> so, but it was a, a pretty bad breakup that brought me to the Dharma. Um, it was kind of like, wow, you know, all the common denominators and all my failed relationships is me. So maybe I have to sit down and just take a good hard look at myself. Thanks for sharing. That that was so uh, moving, La. It appears you've been able to access that piece of you, I guess that's always been there, that says, I am okay. And that's kind of the default state. My question is, do you access that in real time now? If you're subjected to a new stressor, do you fall back on old dysfunctional cognitive pathways, and do you have to work to access that piece of you that says, I'm okay, or does it come up by default now? It's almost like, do you ever watch that movie, A Beautiful Mind? You know how those characters yes, yes. Like, keep showing up? The characters keep showing up, and then I just choose to like, see them there and then say, like, thank you, but I'm going to come back. So it's that remembering and forgetting that I was talking about. So the um, amount of time it takes to like remember gets shorter. So I just feel like, you know, there's so many conditioned stories and thoughts that live within me. I think I've just gotten old enough to think that um, I'm just tired of working that over and over and over again, you know. Um, And I just keep remembering like, these three questions, you know, is my heart open or closed? Do I feel connected or disconnected? Do I feel empowered or disempowered? If my heart is closed, I'm feeling disconnected and disempowered, then what do I need to do to take care of myself? You know, how do I remember to come back to what is actually true? So the thing about Buddha nature is like, it's almost like you have to believe the premise that there is innate goodness in you. And then the next big thing is to believe that there's innate goodness in everybody else as well, you know. And so for me, you know, even with our 45, it's like that's what has me keeping my heart open. And, in, and keeping one's heart open is not about having it wide open or shut. It's like, you know, rather than it being an on and off switch, it can be like a dimmer switch, you know. It's like okay, my heart is now 0.001% open. It's still open, but it's not 80% open or 50% open. And that's my aspiration. Like, how do I, no matter what, have my heart be open? First of all, I just wanted to say thank you. I'm a, I'm a mindfulness facilitator, and I, I work with uh, persons who are transitioning from homelessness and substance abuse challenges and I work in transitional housing units in DC. One thing that I've, I constantly have to encounter within myself before I facilitate 
is the fear of not manifesting or, or the fear of showing up but nothing arising. And so I don't really have a question, but you just being authentic and showing up tonight was very, very encouraging for me. And I just wanted to say thank you. Let me just offer something. There's um, these four universal principles from this teacher, Angeles Arian, that goes, show up, pay attention, speak your truth without blame or judgment, and to let go of the outcome and be open to the outcome. So show up, just get there, pay attention, be aware of what's happening in this body, and be aware of what's happening around you. Be mindful and aware. Speak your truth without blame or judgment. Speak yourself. Just be yourself. And then to let go of the outcome and be open to the outcome. And then let it go. However it lands, is going to land for people in whatever way. And how often do we um, live our lives consumed by the outcome that it informs whether or not we show up, pay attention, and speak our truth? So that's like four universal principles that I live every single day. Just kind of like, let me just be here, you know, be aware, just be myself, and then step back and just see what happens. Thank you for the work that you do. On a funny note, I think I'm going to start calling you Lala. (laughs) That was my parents' nickname for me, actually. (laughs) This is my first time um, at a retreat like this. And though I do practice and I have practiced noble silence on my own and where I can, it started off horribly. And um, I have to really heartfelt thanks to Pat because as soon as he mentioned gladdening, I began to apply that. And then a beautiful thing happened. The first thing was it reminded me of my goodness. And it wasn't a pat on the back or any sort of egoic thing, you know. It was really like, wow, all the things good that in my life where I was able to be a service of someone, I'm sorry, I'm a little emotional, and be of service, you know. And um, then what began to happen was really profound for me today. And it's actually enough because I began to forgive all the people that have ever done wrong to me. Even being molested as a child, I began to forgive everyone, one by one by one. And um, at one point, there was an exercise that I learned from Tara which was, you know, look at yourself in the mirror and put your hands on your cheek and tell yourself, you know, forgive yourself, I forgive you, I forgive you. you know? And when that happened, I don't know, I just was overcome with this great sense of peace. And there was an inner voice in me that said, stay here, stay here, come back, stay here, come back. And I realized that 
I guess the biggest challenge for me, or maybe everyone in this room, is the ability to begin again. You know, how the forgetting is, the remembering, and then the ability to just pick up and begin again, and just to have that energy. So when I look around this room, I just want to let you all know that I'm very inspired. I'm very grateful to be here. Thank you for reminding me. And um, I really don't think I could have made it through today without everyone here today. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. Thank you. Thank you. It's the power of Sangha. I'm sort of wondering about like the most basic things to grab when you find yourself in a reactive state. Um, one of the things I've noticed over time is there is a little more of a gap between stimulus and response for me. Thankfully, there's more um, resilience and that sort of thing. But I'm continually re-humbled by how quickly, you know, getting cut off in traffic or things can just, at least for a few moments, all of that's gone, and I'm literally just whatever emotions flooding through. Um, and I'm just wondering if you sort of have, you know, before you can even talk about Buddha, Dharma, Sangha, like what, what's the oxygen mask that you reach for or the life raft or the, the axe or the break the glass or what, where do you go? And I don't know if that differs from person to person, but there are, are moments, I think, sometimes when thankfully I'm aware that I'm just completely in a reactive state, but that's about all aware and the only awareness I really have, and I'm just in it. Um, thank you. I think when I, I don't get like reactive like that as much anymore because it's, because uh, basically I just find like that I'm suffering and it's just me, right? Like somebody cuts me off in traffic and I'm like, ah, like it's only me that's experiencing that. They have like no idea that I'm pissed off at them, you know? And so, um, I just have a lot of uh, compassion for like, wow, I'm just really hurting right now or I'm scared right now or I'm feeling um, threatened right now or I'm feeling pissed off right now. So like how do I just hold whatever it is that I'm feeling um, with as much compassion and kindness and gentleness as I can? And, and, the, and I'm just finding like the more that I can do that, it, it just becomes like Tom was pointing out to, like it just becomes automatic just like the way that it is. And then it's to be like, oh, I've been practicing for so long and I'm still doing this? Uh, yeah, you are. <laughs> so it's kind of like, okay, let's, let's, let's be gentle with that. You know, let's not judge that. Just, it's just more practice of that. So um, I don't have any really enlightened thing to say other than it's just like, how we meet our experience is what matters most because everything else is like out of our control. So it's how we relate to and how we meet whatever is happening, even if it feels really challenging and difficult. If we can not lose heart, if we can cultivate more heart. If there's 51% heart holding your pain, that's enough. Because... Um, Loss of heart is really, um, there's not enough love to hold the pain. So that's why we cultivate, you know, um, heart practices. So that when we get into these situations where someone does something, 
It's like, oh, look, they did something. It doesn't bother me anymore. Like my partner constantly living, leaving like a um, plate in the sink when the dishwasher is like right there. You know that feeling? It's like, oh, okay, I don't want the, the plate there. I don't have to say like, what the hell is wrong with you? It's like right here. I can just say, I don't want the plate there. Let me put it in the dishwasher. No harm, no foul. So it's, it's my stuff. So let me take care of me. So we're at the end. Thank you for um, your kind attention. Let's just sit for a moment. So just being aware of the quality of your body, heart, and mind in this moment. And as we strive on with gentle, kind, compassionate diligence to continuously remember when we forget to begin again, even if that's a thousand times a day, it's okay. To trust your practice, to trust that you're showing up as best you can that is enough. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.